If you have your Bibles, electronic devices, I'm going to have you either click to, turn to um, Acts chapter 4. And we're actually going to look at like 22 verses today, which is like going to be a record for me. Uh, but don't worry, we're going, to, we're going to do this in the same allotted time. So do not let that fear you, or give you fear. And so, uh, so you either click to, turn to uh, Acts chapter 4 verse 1. If not, the, the, the scriptures is going to come up on the screen as I read them. Uh, as we as we walk through this 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 sermon together, so we've been in this series the last several weeks. We've been in this series called the First Church, and we've been just just systematically verse by verse walking through the first four chapters of the Book of Acts, and we've been taking first century principles, first church principles. We've been pulling those principles out and then applying them to to our context. Now now many of you know we made it all the way to Acts chapter three. And all of this talk about the Holy Spirit, and we kept refer referring back to the Holy Spirit. So I did, a, I did a few weeks where we just looked at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and so kind of understood who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And so now, this morning, we are launching back in uh, to Acts chapter 4. So Acts chapter 4, verse 1, is where we're going to start. And so let me, let, me, let me bring you up to date so we're all tracking, because it's been a while since we've been in Acts chapter 3. And this is like the continuation of Acts chapter 3. And so remember, Peter and John, they were on their way to church, and, but... but but it wasn't a Jesus church. Fact is, that's, that's the title of this message is the Jesus church. And so it really wasn't a Jesus church. It, it, was a, it was a religious church. In other words, people weren't their focus. Jesus wasn't their focus at all. And so Peter and John, they're on their way to church. Uh, there's this man that had been lame since birth, and so he's about 40 years of, of, of age. And so if you remember anything about that culturally, that some, when someone had a handicap, they were like, they were like estric uh, they were ostracized from society. They couldn't work. They couldn't have a job. Uh, they didn't have friends. They didn't have family, any of that stuff. So it was more than just a physical deal. And so Peter and John, they're on their way to church, and then they, they meet this man, and He's a beggar, and he's out in front of the, the, the beautiful gate, and he asks for money. But see, Peter and John, they'd been changed. They'd been changed by Jesus. Something was different about them. And so the man asked for money, and they said, silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have we give you is Jesus. And they had a conversation with him. They healed this man. He's now up, and he's running, and he's jumping. And so they think it's quite okay to bring, bring him to church with him with them. So they bring him into church, and this man's jumping, and, and, and he's excited, and he's praising God. And so all of a sudden, the religious get upset. And they don't confront the man who had been healed, who his life had been changed. They confront Peter and, and John. And see, the religious, they, they didn't care about this man. They didn't care that this man's life had been totally and radically changed. They were upset about some things religiously, and so, so they, they, they confront Peter and John as a result of that. In other words, what we've learned with the with, with, with Spirit, when you, when you accept Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into our life, they were to be not only Spirit-prompted people, but we're supposed to be Spirit-led people to where all of a sudden we love people differently. We love people that are the same like us. We love people that are different than us, that may have different beliefs, come from different backgrounds, all of those other things that all of a sudden something changes in us. And see, see, we know this, right? We know the church answer, that if we ask the, 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 the question, uh, do we love everyone? We know the church answer is what? Yeah, we love everyone. We know we're supposed to. That's the church answer. And so it's easy for us to understand, yes, as Christians, as Christ followers, we love, each, we, we love everyone, but... When we walk out of church and we encounter that person, maybe a sworn enemy, maybe a difficult neighbor, maybe a difficult 
or grumpy coworker. It may be a family member that you didn't think was going to show up to Christmas dinner. And all of them, so they show up and they're there. And now you got to deal with it. See, it's easy to say that it's easy to say that we love everyone until we run into someone that's like a, a sworn enemy. Or we run into someone that has lied about us or spread lies about us or hurt us or betrayed us. Someone that's betrayed our trust or someone that has maybe stolen something from us. See, it's, it's easy. It's one thing to say we love everyone until we run into that person that's like, like hard to love or that EGR person, extra grace required person, right? We all have those in our life, right? You guys awake? So we all have those in our life, right? Okay, thank you. <laughs> last Sunday, last Sunday uh, we had a pastor friend and his family came down and worshiped with us in the, uh, in the, in the 1030 service. They live in, in, in Peyton, actually. So they drove down. They worshiped with us. After the service, uh, Pastor Dwayne and Summer joined us, and, and we, took them, we took them to lunch. We're in a restaurant here in Pueblo. No, I will not tell you where it was. And so uh, we were in a restaurant in Pueblo, and so the waiter was like, she was grumpy. I'm sorry, waitress. Uh, she, was, she was grumpy, and so she's taking our order, and, and so, you know, I, I really, I was in, involved in a story that I really wanted to tell, and so I really didn't have time to, like, give my order, I didn't, you know, and so I, I, I gave her my order, and then she followed up with a question, and it wasn't a, like a yes-no question, it was like red chili or green chili type question, and so she asked me a question, and I just simply said yes and continued on my story, obviously that offended her, and she's like, yes, She's like, yes, this was an either-or question. Then she looked at me and says, you remind me of my ex-husband. <laughs> you know what I thought? You remind me of the waitress. I did not tip. And so, uh, <laughs> right? So we, have, so we have those thoughts, right? And so I turned, I turned to the, after she left, I turned to everybody in the, at the table, and I says, guys, I don't know about you. I'm not very bright. I don't think that was a compliment. And they go, no, that wasn't a compliment at all. I don't. We're going to be very careful what we tell her. And so I had this running commentary in my, in my mind, maybe with the Lord, about this issue about tip or no tip, right? I mean, there, there's these situations, and yes, I tipped her. And so just in case you're wondering, because I'm a pastor. And so, uh, <laughs> but we have those conversations in our mind. See, it's one, I'm telling you, it is one thing to say we love everyone in church. It is one thing for us to know mentally, yes, we're supposed to love it. It's a totally different thing. When we're around those people, the EGR people, extra grace required people, those people that are difficult, that is a totally, see, this is what I want to talk to you today about. I want to talk to you the difference between a Jesus church and a religious church. I want to help you understand that why religion can seem to frustrate and there's a difference about a follower of Christ. And see, this brings us up to Acts chapter 4 because see, here's what happened. Peter and John bring this man into church and what God just did did not fit into their religious system. They really didn't care about people. They didn't really care about this individual. They cared nothing. The fact is, this individual that God healed, they wanted to make an example out of him to hurt Peter and John and to help them understand that they stepped out of the religious system. And so this morning, I, I just want to walk through a couple of things with you. One is, I want to just give you characteristics and just maybe evaluate some things this morning. Characteristics of the religiously lost and I'm, I'm going to help you understand that statement. And I'm going to give you some, some attributes or some identifiers to that. 
to help you understand just some characteristics of the religiously lost, uh, that, that, that group of people that believe that the way that we get to heaven, the way that we earn God's approval, His acceptance, is by some religious things that we do. It's not being changed. It's not being uh, radically changed in our life. It's just some things. It's a, a system, a process that we got to adhere to to get God's acceptance, God's approval. The only way that I know to illustrate this is to teach you about a golf club. Um, and I believe God helped me understand this on the golf course. And so, uh, so if you don't know anything about a golf club, uh, a golf club is meant to bend, okay? Uh, a golf club is meant to flex. In other words, that's what helps a golfer get a club head speed is the flex of the club. The flex is important for a golfer with the, with the, with the, with the speed of the swig. And so it's important to the game of golf. And if you know anything about golf, that a golf club is meant to bend. It's meant to flex. And so a golf club will flex in the, in the swing. But when the swing is over, all of a sudden the golf club snacks, snaps back to its, its original position. And see, I believe it's a lot like religion. Here's how religion works. See, religion is totally different than a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, what we've learned in this book of Acts is that, that Christ comes into our life, the Holy Spirit comes into our life, and he changes us from the inside out. I mean, it's a radical change. But see, religion works this way, much like a golf club. Religion will put pressure on you to bend you, right? If you've been in that system, you know what I'm talking about. And so, so religion will put pressure on you to bend you, to, to, to force you into their, their system to where you're trying to earn God's approval. You're trying to earn their acceptance, and you're trying to earn God's approval. And so it's by some religious things that you have to do, some religious rules you have to do, some process that you have to do, and it tries to, to bend you, right? And so as long as, as long as you're in their system, as long as you're in their church, as long as you're with your religious friends, as long as, you know, as long as you're with them, then you're bent to that, that position. But if you get outside of that church, right, if you get away from your religious friends, if you get away from a spouse or a parent or whatever, and they have forced you into that religious system, then you know what happens to you? Much like a golf club, right? All of a sudden, you snap back to your original position because there wasn't a change. There wasn't a change from the inside out. It's possible with a golf club, and listen, I've witnessed this. I've also seen this on TV, that a golfer can become so upset that they can bend the golf club too much, and it, it snaps. It just breaks. It's no longer useful. Some of you, you've been in a religious system, and you couldn't take the pressure any longer, and you snapped. And you didn't leave God, you left the church. You say, I can't do it anymore. It just leaves me, religion just leaves me feeling empty. It, it just puts so much pressure on me. I don't feel like no matter what I do, no matter how much pressure they put on me, I don't feel like that I can measure up. I don't think I can live up to their standards. I just don't. And so as a result of that, you snapped. And you may have walked away, not from God, but you may have walked away from church for a while. And then you came, and some of you in this place, this is your testimony. And then you came into a Jesus church, and you learned that it's totally different. You learned that it's, it's, it's Christ coming inside of you. It's Christ radically changing you. And all of a sudden, you change from the inside out, and a result of that, everything's different. It is not you trying to earn God's approval. You already have God's approval. 
Now it's about you loving God and loving others. Now it's about you living out your faith. Now you have the power to do that. And so some characteristics about the religiously lost, one of, the, one of them is this, their security, their security in life is in their associations instead of their commitments, in their associations instead of their commitment to Christ. That's why if you've ever been in those religious circles or you're around someone that's religious and you ask them about their relationship with God, you know what they'll tell you? They'll tell you about their church. They'll tell you about their denomination. Uh, they'll tell you about their religious system. But they don't talk of, they don't talk of Jesus, right? They, they don't talk about being changed on the inside. They don't talk about a personal relationship. And the reason for that is because religious people, they are more comfortable with their denomination. They are more comfortable with this, these, these adherence to some beliefs to earn a God. God's approval all the way listen all the way through the New Testament there are these continually these groups of, of religiously lost people and they just made Jesus' life miserable right I mean they just they followed him and every time he stepped out of their system they're like trying to they're trying to make his life miserable and listen the religiously religiously lost people they always travel in groups they always want to get people around them upset about their issues and so this is what happened in Jesus' time. And so verse 2, as we just pick up this story, Acts chapter 4, it says that, <laughs> I love how it starts off, greatly annoyed. Sometimes that's a great descriptor of religiously lost people. They're just greatly annoyed about everything. Because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. In other words, religion has its per parameters. It, it forces pressure on you. And you push back on that, you step out of that, and you're, you're going to get your hand slapped. And so, so verse 3, and they arrested them, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, that may seem strange to us, but see, in their day, in their culture, Jewish culture, they had uh, the Sanhedrin. It was like the religious Supreme Court of our day. So if you broke a law, guess what? It's like going to the principal's office. I mean, it's like you've, you've got to go in and talk to them now. And so the Sanhedrin, it's important for this, for you to understand the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin's made up of like, like 70 men. Um, and part of them are Pharisees and part of them are Sadducees. And so just so we're tracking this morning, you understand what, what Peter and John were up against. The Pharisees were like a legalistic group of people. Uh, they were experts in the law. They studied the scriptures, but they were very, very legalistic about that. Fact is, it was the Pharisees that, that opened the road or the path to the cross for Jesus. It was the Pharisees that, that held the six trials that, hey, by the way, oh, of Jesus, you know, they were, it, it was illegal. It was against the law. And so the Pharisees were just very, very legalistic. I think the Sadducees personally, which much much more difficult group of men, the Sadducees had a lot of power. Had a lot of influence. Um, they, they, they had a lot of wealth. Uh, they were very influential. The, the Sadducees under the table had paid off the Roman government so that they would always stay in power. So the Sadducees were, were corrupt. But here, but spiritually, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in, they didn't believe in miracles. Uh, they didn't believe in prayer. Uh, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Uh, they... they so the Sadducees, here's one of the ways I remember this. The Sadducees, they, they, uh, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in prayer. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in God doing anything. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> I worked on that one. So the Sadducees were a tough group. And the question for you is this, are you more comfortable with those who 
agree with your religious traditions, then those are just a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's another identifier of religiously lost. Form is more important than transformation. They didn't care that this man had been transformed. They didn't care that this man had been totally and radically changed. Uh, They were mad because it wasn't their process. It didn't fit their form. See, for them, following the rules was more important than transformation. Peter and John had done what God had asked them to do. (laughs) And this man, it's a miracle, and now they're mad about it. And they were mad. You know, the Sadducees were like, the the Pharisees are mad. You guys broke the rules. The the Sadducees, they're mad because they didn't believe in any of it. We don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. We don't believe in miracles. We don't believe in healing. We don't believe God can do anything like that. We don't believe in the supernatural. So they're all mad. And so verse 13, this is just so interesting. Verse 13, the scripture says, And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. In other words, this is like, this is like them saying, Peter and John, they were rednecks, right? They were, they were like hicks from, from Galilee, or maybe some of you from Colorado would say, hey, they were Texans. That's who they were. <laughs> I know you say those kinds of things. I can imagine Peter and John standing there like in their overalls, and, and this man that they had healed, he's jumping up and down and praising God. And you know what the, you know what, you know what the religious are upset about? They're upset that, that on, the, on the outside... Peter and John may be, may be hicks, they be, may be rednecks, they may be standing there on the outside in their overalls, but inside they had been totally changed. That's what they were mad about. That's what they were upset about. And so, because Peter and John didn't fit into their, their system, they hadn't, been, they hadn't been ordained in the church, they, 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 they hadn't gone through Jewish school, they didn't have the Jewish or, uh, uh, seal of approval on them, they, they were not trained in the ways of the Sanhedrin, they... Uh, they had only been with Jesus for three and a half years. And Jesus had trained them. But see, for them, that, that, that wasn't enough. In other words, religious circles, their, their process, the process has to, be, has to be their process. Verse 14, as we just continue on. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, I love this next statement. They had nothing to say in opposition. I'm telling you, a movement of God always leaves religious speechless. Remember this. Please remember this. Religion is always silenced by transformed lives. If you're in a religious family, right, and all of a sudden God transforms your life, it may frustrate them because you don't follow their traditions any longer, but it silences them at the same time because they says we cannot, we cannot disclaim you're different. Your life was changed. There's something different about you. I mean, this group that arrested the disciples were more concerned than protecting the way of their process or the way they did things than seeing lives changed. And can I tell you, this happens in our day too if we're not careful. We won't hand off our faith to the next generation because we love our traditions, we love our preferences so much. We're not going to change the sound, or the, we're not going to change the worship, we're not going to change the way we do things. We're not going to change the process because we're more concerned with our traditions than trying to reach the next generation. See, they, they had this same problem. 
Acts chapter 4, verse 15, as we just move on, he says, But when they had commanded them to, to leave the council, they conferred with one another. So this is, a, this is a Sanhedrin. They're having a conference saying, What shall we do with these men? For that, for that a notable sign had been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So now all of a sudden they're saying, guess what? The whole city knows this man has been changed. What are we going to do with this? And we cannot deny it because re- transforms lives, silences religious people. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to, to anyone in this name. So they called them and changed, charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So in other words, if you just, if you just kind of walk through this, verses 15 and 16, they admit we're in, a, we're in between a rock and a hard place. This man has been changed. Everybody knows he's been changed, and we cannot deny it. What are we going to do? And so I know, if we get to verse 17, let's make a decision. We'll just tell them not to speak of Jesus anymore. That's what we'll do. By the time they get to verse 18... They says, oh, and by the way, we're going to tell them you cannot speak in your personal conversations. You can no longer talk about Jesus ever again. And so this was the decision that they were made. And, and, this, this, and this, was, this was true in their day. And you know what? Sometimes it's true in our day. Religious people, they're, they're fine talking about God, right? You can talk about God all day long and you can talk about believing in God. But the moment you talk about Jesus, sometimes that's when they get uncomfortable. It gets kind of freaky to them. And so if we're not careful, this can be true in our day as well. Now, I've told you, I'm, I'm kind of like the invocation guy in, in Pueblo. I go to a lot of banquets. I go to a lot of different gatherings where they need someone. They need a prayer guy. They just need someone to come and do the invocation. Many years ago, I went and, and gave the invocation for, a, for, a, for an organization. And so I, I thought I did a decent job. And <laughs> all it is is a prayer. And so uh, as I'm leaving, the event organizer came up to me and says, hey, we really liked having you. And, you know, like you're nice and friendly and happy. And I'm like, well, what are the other guys like? And so uh, and then she said, but next time we'd like to have you back next year. Could we schedule you? But this time we would prefer you not to say at the end of your prayer in Jesus name. Amen. And I said, well, you just need to get one of those grumpy guys in because uh, because uh, I'm a Jesus follower. I and mean, this, this is who I am. I cannot help but say in Jesus' name. And so I didn't return. They didn't invite me the next year. So this is not only true in our day. It's their day. It's true in our day. See, Jesus was confronted with some religious people, right? Mark chapter 12. And this man, a scribe, that was like a, he was like a, an attorney for the law. And so the scribe confronts Jesus in Mark chapter 12. And so just, just watch this exchange because I think it's so important for us to understand. Verse 28 it says, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well and asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus responded, so he quotes the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 8, and then Leviticus 19. And so it's so important to understand. So Jesus answered, the most, is, the, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And with all your strength. The second is this. is Leviticus 19 now. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so that's how Jesus answered it. In other words, the expectations of the kingdom is that you're going to love God and you're going to love others. You're going to love your neighbor as yourself. The problem with that, when he quoted Leviticus 19, see, the, the Jewish culture that he was speaking to, they believe love your neighbor as yourself. They only had to love fellow Jews. That's what they believe. 
We only have to love people that are like us. We only have to believe people we agree, love people we agree with. We only have to love people that are in our system. And so remember when, when Jesus kind of blew that out of, out of the water in, in Luke chapter, was it Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan? And so Jesus asked kind of the same question. And so he, he wanted them to understand who their neighbor was. So he told them about this story about this man that was, was uh, this, this man that was on his way on a journey and he gets beaten and robbed and left on the side of the road dead or far dead. And so then all of a sudden, a, a, a Jewish priest and a, and, a, and, a, and a religious person, they walk by. And so they, they see the man and they pass on. They, they actually they cross the street. And then all of a sudden, there's a Samaritan. He makes the Samaritan the, the, the hero of the story. And, and, and Jewish people hated people from Samaria. They hated Samaritans. Fact is, Jewish people hated them so much, they wouldn't even pass through the city. Fact is, in, in, you know, Jewish people would take you know, their iPhone you know, turn-by-turn turn directions, and you can click the different deals like, like you know, no toll roads and, and fastest route or interstate only. And, you know, you can, you can click those settings. Their iPhone was a little bit different than ours. And so they, they had a selection, no route through Samaria. That's what they clicked. Because if they had to go to place point A to point B, and it would, the shortest route was through Samaria, they, they're like, no, we're not doing it. They would take a longer route. They would go around it. And so what Jesus did, Jesus tells them this story and says, oh, and by the way, it was the Samaritan that picked that guy up, bandaged him up, took him to a hotel, gave him his master card and says, whatever his charges are on me, just put them on me. And then he says, so now who is, who is, who is your neighbor? And he was trying to help them understand your neighbor is like everybody. Your neighbor is every person you come in contact with. And so Jesus was trying to help them understand that. In other words, that a love of Jesus has called us to love people radically different. In other words, if you would say that I love God, then you have to love people also. Now, many of us and many of you may have people in your life that are just difficult to love because they have hurt you, they have wounded you, they have betrayed you, and you'd say it is, it is hard. And Jesus, when, when we talk about this, just for clarity, Jesus is talking about a love for others, but that does not mean that you are to allow people to continually hurt you, abuse you physically or emotionally or sexually or to damage you. And yes, there are times that we have to, for our sake, to put healthy boundaries in place. There are times that we have to have separation in place to protect ourselves. So I, I just want to be clear about that. But let's keep reading in Mark. And so then Jesus said, and, or, or the scribe said, verse 32, and so the, the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is what? And there is no other beside him. And to love him with all of our heart, with all of the understanding, and with all of the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. And this is staggering what this man says. And then he says, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is huge for this man to admit this because, see, remember the context. They're having this conversation in the temple and what's going on behind them? Sacrifices. People are coming into the temple and they're offering sacrifices, some that they would burn up, some that they would offer and then, then eat. And so they're, they're offering these sacrifices. And so all of a sudden this man is coming to the place and he's talking about this issue, love God, love others, and sacrifice. See, here's the deal. Maybe this will help you with religious people. I just, it's like a card game. And it's like you lay out three cards, and you lay out, you lay out one card, love God, and you lay out another card, love people, and then you lay out the, the sacrifice card. 
And religious people will say the sacrifice card trumps love God, love people, right? Religious people say because of, because of the sacrifices, because of the system we're in, because of the denomination, because of the church that we go to, it exempts us from truly loving God and loving others. That's how come you can meet religious people and they can be so mean. Because they think sacrifices, they think that what they do in the church exempts them from truly loving God and from truly loving people. This is just like huge. And then Jesus, Jesus tells his man, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And that after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. What, this, what Jesus was saying, you are right. Loving God and loving others, expectations into the kingdom. And sir, you are so close. But you know what the man was missing? A relationship with Jesus Christ. You are so religiously close. You get it. But you haven't come to the place to admit that Jesus is the Messiah. You haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior. You are so close. He's pushing this man. And then real quickly, how do you know if you're too religious? Because I think this is an important question to ask and to answer. How do you know? How do you know? You know what? Am I too religious? Uh, am, am I too religious in this? The first thing is this. You know you're too religious if you're afraid of the power of God. If that whole deal of miracles, that whole deal of God radically changing someone, if you're, if you're kind of scared of the whole power of God, look at this, verse 7. He says, and, and when they had set them in the, in the midst, they inquired, by what power and by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. There are many people today, you know what? They are uncomfortable with the power of God. Remember, as the religious people said, do not speak of this ever again. Man, I'm telling you, it is only the power of God that can transform lives. It's the only power of God that can heal. It's the only power of God. It's only by his power that he can change a church. He can change a people group. The second thing is you know you're too religious if you are blinded by Christ's workings. If you are blinded by what Jesus is doing, if you're blinded by what Christ is doing. Remember, Peter and John just simply told him, this is, God did this. It wasn't done in our name. It was done in God. God God's the one that did this. He's a, he's a living miracle, verse 15. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they, they conferred to, to one another. In other words, you want to silence religious people? It's God, see, God working. See, the religious there, they were blinded. They never admitted what Christ was doing. Here, here's the interesting thing. I, I was so bothered by this statement uh, Saturday before church. Um, I, just, I just started running through the Gospels to make sure that this... I, I, I just needed this answer. I have never seen a time in Scripture where religious men responded to what God had done. They always excused it away. You know you're too religious if you're afraid of the power of God and you're blinded by Christ working. So that's, uh, that's why the disciples said, and there is salvation and no one else 
there is no other name under heaven given among men which you must be saved. The last thing is this. You know you're too religious when we feel uncomfortable with the name of Jesus. You know you're too religious if you're just uncomfortable with the name of Jesus. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This, is the, this Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men which you must be saved. It is only through Jesus. That's why religious people, if you're in those conversations, they are comfortable with you talking about God. They are comfortable with you talking about your belief in God. But as soon as you mention the name of Jesus, that's when they get uncomfortable. It kind of defines everything out. It kind of narrows the discussion. It's one thing I forgot to tell you about a golf club. You can take a blowtorch, and you can heat that steel shaft up to the point. You can bend it into a pretzel. And then you can lay it on the ground, and when it cools... It now has a new natural shape. And you remember through Scripture, through the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, fire represented the power of God. Religion tries to put pressure on you to bend you into a shape. Christ, God, by his power comes into your life, heats you up like a blowtorch, and bends you to where you're a new creation. And now, you just live out your faith. Love God and love others. Because you've been changed from the inside out. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?